it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> that really hurts my feelings. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from the beautiful Hard Rock uh, Hotel. I mean, and Seminole, uh, Seminole Hotel. It's beautiful. It's uh, I didn't even know, I didn't get outside for two days. Last night at about 10 p.m., I actually went outside. It's nice in Florida. I had no idea it was this nice. Uh, they have a pool. I did not know they had a pool. I knew, they, I knew it was on the scheme, uh, but I has not been near it. But it was really good. It was a really great night. Three hours. You have to see the, the best of the country. You see the best first responders. You see heroic actions on the battlefield. You see... Uh, so many of our uh, great fans and supporters, 7,000 in the studio. And then you saw some great presenters. And uh, amongst the people that were on the receiving end, uh, Ennis Cantor Freedom, 30 years old, should be playing in the NBA band because he called out China and LeBron. Uh, and we're going to have some great guests this hour. In fact, Frank Siller is standing by. He's one of the co-sponsors of the big event, gave away uh, 20, I think it was uh, Frank, 21. He gave away 20. He, he actually paid off, thanks to all his great donors at Tunnel to Towers, paid off 21 mortgages of those who lost their loved ones in battle or in first responders. We'll talk more about that, but right now let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The very people who should have been covering and regulating and reining in FTX were instead profiting from the scam. From the news media to the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC commissioner himself. Tucker Carlson talking about FTX crypto. It might be unfamiliar to you, but scams by the alleged rich, which include the famous, are anything but new. The damage, the fallout, and how much I hope this time, this fraud and these fraudsters pay the price with jail. Number two. Our investigation is about Joe Biden. And we already have evidence that would point that Joe Biden was involved with Hunter Biden on his. So we want the bank records, and uh, that's our that's our focus. James Comer, he's gonna be in charge of oversight. Finally, a real spotlight on Biden's business ethics and what it has meant for his policies as president and how the GOP majority is outlining their case. Number one. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. (laughs) 82 years old, leader no more. Nancy Pelosi decides life in Washington without the gavel is not worth living. As she informs her party, she's done. What does this mean for the Democrats and for America? And who is next? Uh, it looks like Hakeem Jeffries on the left. Stanley Hoyer, to his credit, says, OK, I might be the same age, 82. He might want to have been speaker or the, or the leader. 
But he's not going to do it because he thinks it's time for a new age. But at 82 years old, don't act like she's doing some great thing for the next generation. So she's 82. She already held on and blocked everybody off along with Clyburn and Steny Hoyer for decades. You just don't have that on the Republican side. They're always rotating people out. Mitch Save Mitch McConnell. So I was just glad to see it. I don't, it's not clear if she's actually leaving her position. But look, she hasn't even helped San Francisco. You know what a hellhole that is. She could be bringing tons of money to her area. Whatever you want to say about Chuck Schumer, he brings New York a lot of money. She has not done the same for San Francisco. The only thing she's brought is homeless. And now you could see when crime actually hit her and imperiled her husband. So you had her announcement. Chuck Schumer, the tribute, cut three. She did an amazing job. And I wanted to go over to the House floor where I had served 18 happy years, many of them as a colleague of Speaker Pelosi and a friend, to just say thank you for the amazing things she has done for our country. Few in American history have been as effective, as driven, as successful as Speaker Pelosi. I don't agree. And not just because I don't agree with her policies. It's because, look, if you want to say Obamacare is a big success, it still needs to be subsidized by the federal government. And they just try to weaponize it each time when the subsidies come up to be due. This should be paying for itself by now. They say, well, do you want to take health care away from uh, the children of, in need? Do you, want health, do you want your grandmother to fall over a cliff? So you should really fund Obamacare. And it becomes politically perilous to not do it. And after she passed it, remember, that thing was dead. And she passed it. And she took credit for it. The Democrats lost 63 seats and she lost power. And then she stuck around. She has nowhere else to go. And she gets it back. And one of the horrific things she did that I think was a new low in terms of just blowing up institutions uh, and a pride is ripping up President Trump's State of the Union address. Can you imagine if Kevin McCarthy does that to Joe Biden? I don't know what Joe Biden's going to say. I don't know what's going to be written for him. And I know one thing Kevin McCarthy won't approve of it. But I never expect anybody to rip up the other party's State of the Union address. That's what she brought, and she got a total pass. Katie Pavlich, cut five. This last uh, two years has been difficult for her with members of the squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, coming in and challenging that. We'll remember when she was congresswoman-elect, she marched right into the speaker's office when she was speaker-elect uh, and demanded a number of things. And Speaker Pelosi was able to keep her caucus together on most things while overseeing the slimmest majority in decades for the Democrats. Now, Kevin McCarthy, although he disagrees with her ideologically, could take some tips from her about how to keep people in the coalition, how to have disagreements behind closed doors rather than out in front on the House floor in, in the press. Um, so certainly she, she has earned to leave leadership. I'm a little surprised she's staying uh, in Congress. Listen, Kevin McCarthy's going to do a really good job. If anything else, he's, he's a deal maker. He's a consolidator. I think he's going to be fine. I mean, Paul Ryan was a policy guy. They put in speakership because he had some star power running as vice president. But Kevin McCarthy's more of the deal maker. Steve Scalise is not going to be a threat to him. He doesn't have to worry about that. I think it'll be strong. I don't want to take too much time away from Frank Stiller, so I want to just get to this. Yesterday, it surprised me a little, but I'm not saying it's wrong. The House majority, when it became clear 24 hours prior that they're going to be in the majority and the speaker more than likely is going to be McCarthy, they made clear what they're going to do. 
They're coming after the whole laptop situation with Hunter Biden, his international business deals, the role that his father, the president, has played, and they're going to move forward, and they're going to go be aggressive. Some are upset by this. They think it's a bad tactic. I don't. If that's all they do, it's a problem, but it's not all they're going to do. If you're an oversight, that's what you're going to do. You're going to find out what the hell is going on. Jim Jordan, cut 14. When is the FBI going to quit interfering with elections? 2016, they spied on President Trump's campaign. 2018, it was the Mueller investigation. 2020, they suppressed information about the Hunter Biden story. 2022, they raided the president's home 91 days before an election. Maybe it'd be nice if the FBI and the Justice Department just stayed out of it and let we the people decide who we think should represent us, who we think should lead us. That's supposed to be how America works. So this is the focus on the Judiciary Committee, the political nature at the Justice Department, and the linkage now to what was happening with the Hunter Biden story Again, just 15 days before we have a presidential election. So they want to get to the bottom of it. And by the way, it's great if you're on radio and you're rolling sound bites in and Jim Jordan is the person because he speaks so fast. He makes his point. It's right to the point. His memory's incredible. He, uh, he's direct and he's quick. So when we come back, Frank Stiller joins us, and he talks about what he continues to do for those men and women, first responders, firefighters, cops, military personnel, whether you die in the middle of uh, Fallujah or you die in a training accident in Camp Pendleton, uh, they make sure, Tunnel to Towers, that they're there for you and your family. So when we come back, we'll talk to Frank, and then we'll talk to you, one 408 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show from Hollywood, Florida. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There is nothing more terrifying than losing your best friend and the person who takes care of you and your children. And in this moment, I never have to worry about a shelter for my children, the place where they come home and know love, safety, and the enduring remembrance of their father. So that is a moment from the Patriot Awards last night. And that was the moment that brought to you by Tunnel to Towers. Because what they did, well, I'll let him say it. Frank Siller's here, uh, Tunnel to Towers founder and CEO, uh, and one of the sponsors of last night, and one of the great moments of last night was the surprise you brought to the table. Frank, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Great As to always. see you in, pers- in person. We're standing here by the concession stand outside like the it. theater. I like it. So, so that is... Uh, that is Lisa. Yeah, uh, Hallett. Lisa Hallett, uh, the wife of um, of Captain John Lewis Hallett. Set the scene for us last night. Well, we uh, we asked twenty one families that come in. Most of them were Gold Star widows that uh, lost their loved ones in the line of duty. A few for, uh, fallen first responders also lost their loved ones in the line of duty. Uh, one widower. Uh, his uh, wife was uh, uh, on the uh, police officer who was saving somebody in a river and drowned herself. But she also served our nation. Uh, she was in, wow. the, in the army for ma- for many years. That's where they met and, and ended up getting married and having a child. But um, so last night when Lisa w- was well, th- I, we brought twenty one of these families in, and I told them that you know the Tunnel to Towers Foundation is considering helping your family out, and you have to fill out an application, and I want to meet you all down at the Patriot Awards because they're honoring these great patriots, Fox, and um, we'll come down, we'll meet, and then in December, we're going to have a board meeting with our executive board, and we're going to decide, you know, whether or not, you know, you fit, and we'll be able to pay off your mortgage. Of course they fit. You know, yeah, yeah. there was no question we were going to help them. Did you get that follow-up? Like, I don't fit? <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't use the word fit. You know, yeah. to fill out everything yeah. out. And, like, what's and, the problem? Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, so they just thought they were coming to <laughs> to be here and, and experience what it was an unbelievable night to watch all these other great heroes being honored and recognized for the great work that they do. So... When I got up there last night, and I already had earlier in the day paid off the mortgages. My great finance team, uh, you know, we didn't want to pay it off during the week. Well, we didn't want to do it earlier in the week because then they would find out. They they would find out. So we did it that morning. Uh, Should should we let you relive the moment? Do you think you would love to play it? Yeah, sure. Okay, here's how it sounded last night. Cut 26. I want you to know that these 21 families thought they were coming down as our guests here, Tunnel to Towers and that they were going to meet me, and then we were going to have a board meeting in December. In December, we were going to make a decision whether or not we were going to take care of these families to make sure that they had a mortgage-free home after their loved ones died for you and I. But instead of waiting to December to have this, I thought that you should be on the board of Tunnel to Towers Foundation, and I want to ask you, who here thinks that they deserve a mortgage-free home? I want you to know that I knew what the answer was, and this morning we paid off their mortgages. They do not know. They never have to worry about their mortgages again. Give them a round of applause. Wow. wow. So what, was that? <laughs> what, what did that feel like? I know what it felt like. I was in the audience. It, it was special uh, to do something like that. We never did a surprise uh, like that uh, before. 
uh, and we fit it. We've thought it would be fitting to do it here at the Patriot Awards and do it with Fox because, to be quite frank with you, your listeners, Fox viewers, uh, they, you know, they're the ones that are doing the eleven dollars a month. Yeah, and it adds up. You know, it adds oh, up, yeah. and when the tens of thousands of people uh, do it every single month, so. Uh, it was a great night uh, to meet these families because I hadn't met them before because I was always afraid that I'd let it out. You right. know what I mean? So, uh, and, and to meet the families just beforehand and talk to them. I said, look, they, Fox just asked me to come on stage. I, I want you to come and help me and support me to be up on stage. That, so. <laughs> but I'll tell you the truth. I broke down at one point because when you turned around on the wall, you had the pictures of all 21 all of, them the, up there, yeah. all of their faces of their loved ones that died and they all turned around and looked at it, and they were the, their breath was taken away. And uh, I don't care how long it's been for some of them. You know, some of them have been waiting a long time. You know, 2013, 2011, even one from 2007. There's so many that we have not helped yet right. that made the ultimate sacrifice, their families, and that we need to help. I know you know this, but so when that, uh, when that spouse dies... The next day, there's no paycheck. A lot of times, the, the paycheck stops. They might have certain payout depending on how long they served and what, what happened and where they were and the town they're in. So all of a sudden, you've got to not only, in many cases, be the parent, you also have to be the breadwinner, which means you've got to go back to work, which means you're going to need some daycare, which means what kind of money am I making? Is it going to be enough to literally feed the family and pay the bills? And a lot of times, these are apartment complexes. They're not going to say, I have a heart for you. You haven't made your payment in two months. You're out. That's it. You know? That is why I think the Tunnel to Towers mission has made an impression on your donors and so many other people. They know where their donation is going. Right. The, you and I both know our biggest expense is our mortgage payment. Absolutely. Well, it's for everybody else. But like exactly what you said, when you lose your other half, usually the breadwinner is who they were. Um, it's it's hard to fathom how you're going to live day to day. And look, you know, you had someone on Fox and Friends earlier today, and she was speaking about now she doesn't have to live day to day. Yeah, day to day, and that she could actually feed her children better meals. I heard her say that. Yeah, I had a pang in my yeah. heart. Like quality meals. You, quality meals. You know what I mean? So it, this is the decision a lot of Americans are faced with today with everything going on, but most certainly those whose families have paid the ultimate sacrifice where their loved ones died. So what's left? Like how many applications are you looking at now? <laughs> I mean, what, is, what do you have? What do you need? So I'm going to tell you that we just added uh, over 100. I think it was 103 catastrophically injured service members. We just added them to our the off-the-wait list onto us buying properties uh, for them. Wow, so that's how far you'll go. You'll buy the properties and design the house. Well, we do everything. Yeah. We do everything for the catastrophically injured. Yeah. If they have a house already, we'll pay off because they're in a community. We're not asking them to, to leave their community. Their families are already in that community. Uh, we'll pay off their mortgage and we'll remodel their houses so they're you know, accessible houses for their injuries. So that's the smart homes that we do, mortgage-free smart homes. And then we have hundreds upon hundreds of Gold Star families, if not thousands, that are still waiting for this type of help that we're reaching out and they hear about us and, and or we contact them. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, there's a couple of hundred first responders that die every year. Right. And many of them have families and young families that are left behind. And we take care of every police officer, every law enforcement officer, every firefighter, every first responder in America. You die in the line of duty. And you have a young family left behind. We're going to pay off your, your mortgage. And on a side note, have you seen some of the struggles that those who fought in Afghanistan have gone through? 
especially the spouses, like, what was it for? You just pulled out and undid everything we accomplished. Have you seen some of that? Well, yes. Well, we've talked to so many of these uh, families uh, and great heroes. Um, you know, they, they, you know, there's so many of them <laughs> have PTSD to begin with. Uh, it made it so much worse. No, nah, it, it's disgusting, actually. It's so sad uh, on, on, on how the administration uh, pulled out of uh, Afghanistan. But, you know, we bring these families into our family, into the Tunnel to Towers family. And we, so we, we're more than just paying off the mortgage. And that, that that's just the just word, right, that we just pay off the mortgage. We want them to know that we care about them, that we love them, and that there's hope for them, and that there's, we're there for them on, on every single level. T2T.org. T2T.org. $11 a month can change these families' lives, and that's why we made $11. First of all, we're 9-11 Foundation, but most certainly because right. uh, it, it, uh, it's easy, and most people can do that, $11 a month. Absolutely. Frank Siller, thanks so much. Always great to see you. Thank you. When something good is going on, you're usually behind it. I really appreciate you being here thanks, today. Thanks, Back in a moment. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Have you read Senator Grassley's and my report uh, on Hunter Biden's corruption uh, issued in September of 2020 and November of 2020? Have you read those reports? I have had a chance to look at it. Do you see any sign of Russian disinformation in those reports? That would be a hard question for me to answer. No, it's very easy. Yeah. It's very easy. What I would say to It's a very easy answer. There is no Russian disinformation. That report is completely clean of any interference of foreign influence. Although we have been falsely accused, including by the chairman of this committee, of spreading Russian disinformation. So that is Ron Johnson with Christopher Ray yesterday, who couldn't be more disappointing on a regular basis. I mean, if he doesn't comment on the border, he can't really make a straight answer there. Can't comment on the laptop, you know, not being Russian disinformation. But Ron Johnson empowered with six more years and two years away from being the chairman. Uh, it looks as though he put Christopher Ray on the spot. Why couldn't he answer that question? Let's go to Fox News contributor, Federalist uh, man in charge, Ben Dominich. Ben, welcome back. Were you surprised about that exchange? How hard would it have been to make, to make come to the same conclusion that the New York Post, excuse me, New York Post and New York Times and Washington Post did? Look, I, I don't think that we can be at all surprised at the way that uh, we see this continued dodge take place over and over and again on all of these different issues. Um, look, the the truth is that what we what we have found out about Hunter Biden over the past uh, couple of years has only increased the level of concern that we ought to have as opposed to decrease it. You know, the, the denialism that Joe Biden used as a candidate in 2020, um, that everyone in the media that was allied with him was happy to go along with, just doesn't pass the smell test anymore. Uh, and the idea that we are continuing to have these same circular arguments because uh, people can't admit what's right in front of their face is absurd. Um, look, the one thing, though, that I do want to caution people about is that we have to look at the the problems with the FBI and not uh, just look at the problems associated with 
Hunter Biden and the Department of Justice because their problems go so much True. deeper than just that. And and that that's the only thing I want to caution people about, which is to say uh, the, the GOP needs to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time when it comes to these things. They, there are so many concerns that we have about the FBI, as you saw from Senator Hawley the other day, laying out all of his concerns, um, you know, as you saw from, you know, number a number of members who have, who have uh, you know, questioned very vociferously, you know, what's gone on at the Department of Justice. I think that the thing that we have to understand here is that this is a, a problem of an entire entity behaving in repeated ways that do not seem to be in the American interest uh, and instead look very much like uh, the, this kind of partisan-directed, uh, biased uh, investigations and biased choices of which things to go after and prioritize. Uh, and I think that that should be of concern to all of us. So, uh, yes, this deserves to be looked at, but we've got to look at even more uh, and can't just be distracted by the shiny object. Absolutely. And you do want to find out Tony Bobulinski came forward, did. I think he's going to be coming forward. The guy's a, uh, an officer in the intelligence mm-hmm. officer in the Army, the self-made multimillionaire. And he was up close in person with the bot, but he was picking and choosing when to talk about this. Now it's out. He's like, that's it. I've done. You know, I blew up my life to expose all this. And the media doesn't care. Now he was with Sean last night. I want you to hear what he has to say. Cut 19. It's uh, crazy that we're actually still talking about this two years after I've come public. A thousand percent Joe Biden is the big guy. Uh, Congressman Comer addressed it this morning. There is a trove of facts. And the good news for the American people is um, not only have I come forward, but in the last uh, variety of months, multiple whistleblowers have come forward with a whole trove of facts that corroborate everything I've said as well as add incremental information to it. And um, I think the American people are going to see those facts. I think they're going to be shocked by those facts. And uh, hopefully justice is served. Is he overly optimistic? You know, I don't want to say that he's overly optimistic, um, you know, because he said, I'm hopeful that justice is served. <laughs> and I think that everyone yeah. should be hopeful that justice is served. But he said served. American people are going to be upset by these facts. Yeah, yeah I, I think that I think Americans will be upset. But here's the thing that I think we need to understand about this. We need to think about these things in holistic terms, which is to say. You know what? What the Democratic line has been on this, what the uh, what the Joe Biden team line has been on this, is that you know anything having to do uh, with his son is something that's separate from him, and you know he's yeah. scandalous individuals in any family. It's totally separate. It's totally walled off. Uh, there's never you know that they they claim that there's never been a hint of any kind of impropriety on Joe Biden's part. I think the opposite is true. I think that there's all kinds of hints of impropriety on his part, and and just look at a decision. <laughs> Like what's happening right now when it comes to his decision to, you know, sort of uh, go back on his word about, you know, making the Saudis the pariahs of the world or something like that um, uh, when he was uh, campaigning for office uh, and and begging them essentially to pump more oil uh, in order because he doesn't want to go back on killing the American natural gas industry. Uh, And I think that that's the kind of thing where, you know, if. If we know more about the financial incentives involved here, that is the kind of thing where I think a lot of people would be saying, wait a minute, is there something else? Is there another motive here? Is there something that benefits him or benefits his family, you know, by taking such a move? Uh, And I think that that's a valid question to ask, given the number of times over his Senate career and over uh, his career in politics in general, uh, there was there seemed to be a lot of coincidences uh, where it lined up with, uh, you know, something that could have been 
beneficial uh, either to his son or to other investments that uh, were uh, beneficial to his family. And that's the kind of thing that I think ought to be raising all sorts of concerns across the media, but they aren't because we have a partisan and corrupt media establishment uh, that continues to just shove these things under the rug. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. A couple of things. Nancy Pelosi uh, made her moves pretty apparent. She is no longer going to be speaker when the when the party power changes and shifts over. It looks like Kevin McCarthy will be the speaker of the House. Before we talk about Kevin uh, McCarthy, Nancy Pelosi leaves historic because she's a woman, 82 years old. She acts like she's moving get, moving out uh, surprisingly. A lot of people wonder why you didn't move out earlier. You really held that seat for two four-year stints for, and 19 years. When you look at her legacy, I'm not I'm not even though I I'm not thinking that this is a great legacy. Do you think it yeah. is? Well, you know, I had a lot of thoughts about this, and I wrote a piece about it yesterday at The Spectator, which I, the thing that is really interesting to me about Pelosi is that if you look back at her career, all she got from the, the media was plotted. She just was praised to high heaven. Yeah. She's being praised, you know, today. And yet what she actually accomplished when it came to uh, legislative achievement and the kind of things that you would expect from a Speaker of the House, it's very minimal. You know, the Obamacare and the, the bank bailouts and obviously, you know, huge expenditures on stimulus, uh, both during this time around and, and last time around. But she didn't have the kind of impact that I think a lot of people pretended that she had. Really what she was good at was keeping uh, the party in line and keeping their uh, kind of internal disputes behind closed doors with, again, the help of the media. But, you know, if you think about it, when she got into office – one of the biggest priorities that you know she had from the get-go uh, was the importance of abortion, expanding taxpayer-funded abortion in particular. Um, you know, it's an issue that she's repeatedly cited as being very important to her. You know, much to the consternation uh, of people who are frustrated with her in the next you know sentence, talking about being a devout Catholic. Uh, and you know, she actually presided over the fall of Roe v. Wade, and because of the extreme position that she took on the way that she was going about codifying it, you know. She she ended up getting no Republican votes uh, for anything along those lines. So, you know, look, I think she presided over a great cultural sort on the issue uh, that made her own party much more extreme. Back in the day during Obamacare, you know, there were a bunch of pro-life Democrats who she had to cut deals with in order to get that final passage. Uh, those people aren't around anymore. There's one pro-life Democrat left. And so I think that of her legacy is making the party more extreme on cultural issues, spending a ton of your money in ways that mostly have uh, not serve to benefit the country. Uh, and really, you know, uh, from the get-go, uh, the decision to go down the road with Obamacare, in retrospect, does not look like a good one. The system still is not working. It still does not work for people. They, they are still not happy with the American health care system. Uh, and ultimately, you know, look, there were so many other problems that they could have tried to address. They could have tried to address immigration. They could have tried to get stuff done. And frankly, I actually think that if she had a better relationship with him, she could have gotten things done, even under President Trump. Uh, but as it turned out, that was not to be the case. And I think that, you know, ultimately right. she's just going to be remembered as a political powerhouse uh, who kept her party in line but didn't really achieve much legislatively. I, I think most Republicans disagree with me. But when the experts talk, that I talk to think that we needed something like TARP because everything was falling apart. But she did sign off with a Republican Treasury Secretary. But besides mm -hmm. that, she lost 63 seats after she jammed Obamacare down our throats. And Obama would never, you know, Obama would be on a steady decline after that, despite his 
uh, his charisma and his talent mm-hmm. on delivering a message. He would not be an effective president. I thought she did nothing but polarize. And if you tell me that she delivered for her city, has anyone think that San Francisco is better off since Nancy Pelosi <laughs> became speaker? Are you crazy? I'd, I'd like and when to she meet tore that up President Trump's, <laughs> yeah, when she tore up President Trump's uh, State of the Union address, if McCarthy did that, I would be offended. I would not. I think it would be absolutely mm-hmm. awful. I thought that that was so juvenile and such a bad precedent that, uh, I mean, and she planned on doing it ahead of time. That, to me, is our legacy. I, I, I completely agree with you, and I would make one more point. You know, Newt Gingrich's tenure as speaker was obviously short. He's remembered, uh, you know, our friend Newt as a, as a controversial speaker for, in a lot of respects. He got more done in that limited amount of time working across party lines with Bill Clinton than Nancy Pelosi ever did. And I think that that's just a simple truth. I don't think it's objectionable. I don't think that anybody uh, with, uh, who's not a partisan can, can disagree with that. Right, and I just think it's a lot harder to try to get something with another party while keeping yep. your party in, in line is a lot harder. That, to me, is skill, uh, whether you've yeah, got to do absolutely. it through leverage or threats, whatever it is. Because I think at <laughs> one point, we'll, we, I think we realize after this election that you cannot win with one party alone. Democrats can't win without independents and some Republicans, and Republicans mm-hmm. can't win without some independents and Democrats. And that's yeah. the type of people that sooner or later we're going to need there. We need conservatives like you gritting their teeth saying, I only like half of this. And then AOC going, I like a tenth of this. You know, and maybe Senator Kuhn saying, I like a quarter of this. Those are the good old days. It makes my show, uh, our shows like this better when we can debate issues instead of when the next election is because no one's going to even try to make a deal. Yeah. Just no, final I, thought I on your, that? A final thought on that is. A big part of this is that trust and uh, generational breakdowns in our leadership have have completely collapsed the way that any of these entities work. Uh, And we really need – I mean, look, Nancy's still going to be around. She's going to be Speaker Emeritus. She's going to be looking over, in all likelihood, Hakeem Jeffries' shoulder. Uh, And I think that we need to have that generational change in order to have relationships where people can actually trust each other. Got it. She's going to have just a smaller office. To me, at 82 years old with with a husband who just got hit with a hammer, she should stay home. But who knows? Uh, we have a lot of questions about that. Yeah, exactly. Right. We right. do an hour on that, Brian. There's <laughs> <laughs> another column. Hey, Ben, thanks so much. Appreciate you hopping Great on with be us. with you. Ben Dominich. Yeah, big up the Federalist. Uh, and that's why he's a contributor. one 408 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to be able to take your calls now. We're in Hollywood, Florida. Patriot Awards last night. A great time to salute this great country, as well as those who make it great. The ones that are not in the headlines but deserve to be. They had their night last night. Hope you watched it on the stream live. Watch it now. It's uh, archived. And maybe see it on Sunday when it will be on Fox News Channel. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The last eight, nine months has been very lonely. When you talk about some of the problems that were happening in China, and unfortunately, the organization that I played in, it was a very tough time, so that's what I will say, that's what I will live, live with it, but uh, the people that I call my brothers, I'm referring to my teammates, you know, I had hundreds of teammates, I played 11 years in the league, and you know, I told them, this is bigger than basketball, this is bigger than NBA, this is bigger than ourselves, while we are... 
while we are dribbling a basketball in this country, on the other side of the world, people are losing their lives, losing their homes, and losing their loved ones. Yeah. So we have to stand up for those innocent people. So that was Ennis Cantor last night getting the MVP, Most Valuable Patriot. Why? Who's Ennis Cantor? Ennis Cantor's an outstanding basketball player, went to Kentucky, had some problems, went pro. And he's played for a number of teams all successfully from the Trailblazers to the Knicks to the Celtics. I think a couple of teams in between. What he is is a really offensive threat. He's seven foot and he's, he's an athlete. He's a benefit to everyone. He's not LeBron. He's not going to change your team. But that makes him vulnerable. If you are not a, a, an irreplaceable superstar, Tom Brady of football, you know. Even Tom Brady of 45 is disposable. At 35, he's not. So, uh, Joe Montana, if you're not one of these guys that's impenetrable... You get suspended or, you know, you get picked up. You might get traded or – but you don't get banned. Now, there's a soft ban. There's no doubt about it on Ennis Cantor. Why? A good player who continues to speak out against LeBron James about China, about, um, about people who are investing in terrible countries, uh, what they're doing, uh, for example, uh, speaking out against Russia – you need to alienate people. The NBA wants to get rid of you. They don't need it. And he wrote things like free to bet on his sneakers and uh, about the Uyghurs, all these messages on his sneakers. So when he stopped playing on the Celtics, he went from about 10 minutes a game to zero. Then they let him loose right before the trade deadline. No one picked him up this year. He's 30 years old, in great shape, has never had a serious injury, coming off being a solid contributor on all those teams I mentioned, maybe a couple others I forgot. He should be playing. And I asked him today on television, are you considering doing what Kaepernick did and suing the league? Only he's standing up for the U.S. against other countries. If you were standing up going against the U.S., it would be no problem, especially now. Everyone does. So he described what it was like growing up. He described that he was told in school as a Muslim that they were telling him how bad America is. They will be required to walk, or walk over a flag or burn a flag. They just America's the worst. America's the worst. America's the worst. And Erdogan, who's a member, who's, whose country is a member of NATO, Turkey, would allow this to happen. It's happened all over the Middle East. And he grew up and felt differently when he found out differently. And as he began to really love the country, he finds that the NBA doesn't love him. Because just remember this. When that general manager of the Rockets decides to speak up and say something, said something, uh, retweeted uh, Free Hong Kong, the Chinese government banned the NBA for the rest of the year. They lost billions of dollars. And now LeBron James was critical of the general manager of the Rockets. Now he's running the 76ers for coming out and saying that. Instead of saying, of course, the people of Hong Kong are protesting because their freedom is being taken away by Red China, by the communist government. They were pledged to allow it to be a free enterprise within China uh, for that time. And they were being taken away, so they were protesting. And everybody else, including the NBA, took the side of the Chinese thuggish government. It's insane. So he brought that up. And he's not giving up his integrity to China. But he's not the only one. From Blackstone to J.P. Morgan Chase to Nike, they all are afraid to upset China because they're going to lose revenue. And it's pathetic. How much money, and I say this as a pure capitalist, do you need in knowing that it's not in America's interest? And I think he should sue and find out, was there a mandate out there to all 30-plus teams, don't get Annis Cantor. And if not, you'll get a lot of attention along the way. Don't forget, meet me in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, Barnes & Noble. Go to BrianKillMe.com. That'll be tomorrow. And December 2nd, Newark, New Jersey, stage show, all the books at once. What a great date night. That according to everybody that goes. That's an unofficial scientific study. 
Don't move. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. This is Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're connect normally from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but now we're actually in Hollywood, Florida for the final time. We'll be back in New York on Monday. But that's a place uh, where we had the Patriot Awards. Awards I know that you like if you like this show because it's all about red, white, and blue. Well, looking at first responders, cops, Border Patrol, as well as people like Dennis Cantor, who's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour, who got our MVP, Most Valuable Patriot, the former New York Nick. Uh, the former Boston Celtic, Portland Trailblazer, has uh, basically banned because he decided to stand up and talk about the slave labor going on in China and how LeBron James can be critical of America, but LeBron James can't be critical of China because he's afraid about of losing money. And, uh, and he got a award. He's 30 years old. He should be in the league. We'll see if this results in a lawsuit. Let's find out now while we wait for Susan Lee. Actually, Susan Lee is there. So we'll talk to her in a second about something that's in the news right now that many of you, like me, weren't born to know, and that is crypto. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The very people who should have been covering and regulating and reining in FTX were instead profiting from the scam, from the news media, to the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC commissioner himself. That is Tucker Carlson talking about FTX crypto. It might be unfamiliar to you, but scams by the alleged rich, which include the famous, are anything but new. The damage, the fallout, and how much, I hope this time, these fraudsters pay the price. Number two. Our investigation is about Joe Biden. And we already have evidence that would point that Joe Biden was involved with Hunter Biden on his deal. So we want the bank records, and uh, that's our that's our focus. That is James Comer. Here we go. Uh, Republicans are in charge of the House, and they're moving. Finally, a real spotlight on Biden's business ethics and what he has meant, what it has meant for his policies as president, and how the GOP majority is outlining their case. Number one. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. Wow, uh, that is Nancy Pelosi, leader no more. Pelosi decides life in Washington uh, without the gavel is not worth leading, as she informs her party she's done, but likely to stay. What does that mean for the Democrats and for America, and who's next? But to start this hour, I want to start with, by the way, you're hearing the banging in the background. They're breaking things down here. Uh, They've been setting up for a week at the Hard Rock, and they have a 7,000-seat stadium. They have all these other sets. So if you hear some banging in the background, it's not someone locked out or breaking in. Uh, Susan Lee, uh, welcome back. Hey, I can see you from Florida. By the way, if, if you have a chance to stay in Florida for the weekend, I would do that because it's only going to be 20, Why, 25 degrees here in New York this <laughs> this weekend. Hi there. Wow. Um, yeah, people are coming by and waving because they're packing up and they're leaving, Susan. Uh, well, they well, I thought it was wanna... you having too big I of a party. I forgot that she's actually seeing me. <laughs> right. I, I, you're, you're monitoring me and I can't monitor you. I feel that, that there's an unfairness to that. <laughs> it's called flying blind. You're very good at it. You do radio for three hours each yes. day. Right. I like to think blind might not be a good word. So <laughs> uh, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at a, a FTX right now. Yeah. 
and we're seeing this guy. First off, please don't. I mean, you, there's nothing too rudimentary you can't say to me and my audience about crypto. So flat out, what is the thing that, that jumps out to you? Yeah. About the crypto craze that FTX got caught up in. Well, actually, you know, I just had a fantastic interview with the richest man in cryptocurrency, the guy that actually brought down FTX. Have you ever heard of a, an exchange called Binance, largest crypto exchange in the world? Its founder, CEO, CZ, as we call him, is the richest man in crypto. And I asked him, I said, look, there's a lot of negativity out there. There's a lot of disbelief. Why should anybody put money into an asset class that can easily evaporate like this? Remember FTX at its peak was worth $32 billion. Sam Bankman Freed, SBF, was worth $26 billion, one of the richest people on the planet. And literally in four or five days, which was started by Binance's CZ, as I pointed to him, it just it just goes away. Is it just paper money? And he said, look, I think there's a lot of distrust, understandably, in the industry right now, given what happened with the, with FTX. But uh, there are use cases, and I'll talk to you in just a bit about what the use cases are, because peer-to-peer, like if I transfer you money in the future without having to go through a bank and yeah. settle in two days, there's a lot of use cases around the world for people that don't have US ba- sophisticated U.S. banking systems like we have here. Gotcha. But it's, it's the fragility so, of the whole thing is um, just you know knocking confidence, as you can imagine. Because it's not backed up by anything. Right. right. I mean, Susan, it's not backed up by anything. So. You know, if I have a bank and I deposit money, I'm withdrawing money. The bank has to capitalize. And right. I thought one of the things that happened in 2008 is these, all these banks had to have a higher capitalization just in case something like that did happen again. There will be regulators looking over the and shoulder. And that's why, yeah, the Federal sure Reserve could, could have stepped in and saved FTX like they did for banks in 2008. You don't have that back- backing. But that's also the reason why people invest in cryptocurrency, Brian, because believe it or not, there's a lot of people that don't think the system works for them, not the banking system, not the financial system. And that's why they wanted to invest in an asset class, some sort of monetary system, some sort of money that wasn't regulated by the Federal Reserve, not by Jay Powell, not by Janet Yellen at the Treasury. And that was the attraction, I thought, especially from younger folks who, who thought that they couldn't build a reserve of wealth that people of a different generation could have done. And that's why they invested in crypto. So tell me about where FTX went wrong. This Sam Bankman-Fried admits ethical his, his ethical image has taken a hit. And he also says... This whole woke culture is a dumb game we woke Westerners play. Okay. Okay. Well, and then he into blamed that, his but... ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By telling every, by doing all this, but then he uh, he blamed his ex-girlfriend because who he lent a billion dollars to in in customer funds. Yeah, which is illegal, vanished, by the way. He, yeah, because she said she said that the, she he thought that she had money to back it up. That's it's, should something, you but should the money never. disappeared. There is a, a line that I think everybody in the industry consensus, whether you're on Wall Street or whether you work in cryptocurrency, and you've heard this from the biggest CEOs in crypto, they all agree that you cannot transfer client funds on an exchange in order to bet and fund your risky hedge fund without telling clients, first of all. But just in general, that is illegal and it shouldn't have been done. And a lot of people, including CZ of Binance, who of course uh, took down and started this bank run on FTX, says he might be going to jail for. To me, I, I look at this clownish character wearing shorts with a president and former prime minister 
of the UK, and we see that on the stage, and he's talking about all the money he's given to Democratic causes, and he's just, uh, it just seems so bizarre. If you have questions about crypto, this guy's living with 10 people. One of the people is his uh, now ex-girlfriend. That he lends a billion dollars to of other people's money. What caused the run on FTX that exposed them? Right. Well, obviously they didn't have the money, so we know that to start off with. That is the basis. But what started was Binance, CZ, richest man in crypto. He actually owned about $2 billion of FTX's own self-made token. So, And they used that as collateral for a lot of the loans to you know, for the $12 billion that they had. And so what happened was CZ, Binance, caught wind that maybe the books weren't right at FTX. So they started selling about $500 million of FTX's coins. But of course, once you start doing that, everybody else goes, okay, well, if the richest man in crypto is selling FTX and concerns about their books, we should do that too. And so you had a lot of people just rushing to get their money out of FTX, and they didn't have any money to pay them back. And that's when the cascade and the collapse started accelerating. So I want you to hear what uh, Jonas Ferris said of, Ma- uh, of Max Funds. He's a co-founder of, and put in layman's terms, what this guy did. Tell me what you think. Cut 21. Okay. He's the Bernie Madoff of crypto. He pretended to be this woke world with the donations, giving money to certain specific politicians. It was to create an image of trust, kind of like how Bernie Madoff had a foundation that gave money to hospitals and charity. So you wouldn't think it was a fraud. And then regulators who already exist, we don't need new regulators, who would have had authority over some of these preposterous yield products that they had, wouldn't do anything. In fact, he was trying to direct the regulators to his competitor, Binance, who then saw that he was doing that, and he's the one who took out this company by causing a run on the bank, knowing that this guy never really had this money left because they were looting it, gambling it away <laughs> to nothing, and it wasn't really there. He started the panic and crushed his competitor. That's basically what happened. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, I, as I said to you, I just interviewed the founder of Binance who started yeah. this whole so collapse. He- yeah. But OK, so I would also argue that Bernie Madoff, you know, I would say that's a probably a larger case since there might be more people involved, more people that put their money with Madoff. If you think about cryptocurrency, yes, it was a three trillion dollar asset class a year ago, only worth a trillion now. But there aren't that many people, not that many Americans actually invested in crypto. I think it was a maybe 15 to 20 percent, most of the young individuals. So what I'm concerned about and, and maybe you saw it after the dot com bubble burst in 2000 is that when you get burned and a lot of these young people might have been burned in this FTS collapse they don't come back they lose trust in investing and they don't come back to the markets for about 20 years as we saw after the dot-com bubble burst in 2000 I'm hoping that doesn't happen this time around so a couple of things he decided to answer a Vox reporter that DM'd him on Twitter and it wasn't me and they went back and forth <laughs> <laughs> no. It was not you. No. no, V, V, Vox. Okay. <laughs> Kelsey Piper. So it says, she said this. It was bizarre that he was just going back and forth for an hour. She said this. This is her conclusion. Looming over our whole conversation was oh, the fact that people no. who trusted him have lost their savings. And that he's done an incalculable damage to everything he proclaimed only a few, few weeks ago to care about. The grief and pain he has caused is immense. And I came away from our conversation appalled by much of what he said. But if these mistakes haunted him... He largely did not show it. Mm. 
unbelievable. I mean, how? what kind of sociopath are you? Your world is collapsing. You are broke. Everybody that you tried to influence knows you're a fraud. Yeah. You're, you are, you're a, a guy, a fat guy who doesn't know where to find a brush or an outfit that fits him, who is arrogant and a phony, and now all these people are out of their life savings and he has no regrets? Who raised this guy? Well, that's a great question. Well, I think his um, his parents were professors at Stanford University. Um, and I was really shocked by the fact that he's been tweeting throughout this because, as you know, there are investigations underway. There's a bankruptcy proceeding. Lawsuits are being filed. Who is his lawyer? He should really get one that tells him to stay off social media because a lot of the tweets and some of them are just unbelievable. I've never seen this before covering business for all these years that a person that has been that's under investigation that just lost $32 billion, people's life savings. People are trying to find him, possibly pushing him. You know, he might get jail time. Should he be, and is it advisable for him to be commenting on social media and answering reporter questions over Twitter? Uh, it's just a, an unbelievable turn of events and the story, how the story is unfolding. It shows it hasn't really sunk in. He thinks he's impervious to everything. He doesn't understand how vulnerable he is. Lastly, Dave Portnoy put it in perspective. Cut 22. The fact he wasn't investigated, to me, just shows what this... A lot of this country is all about people are just trying to make money. They're being dishonest. They're saying the right things to make money, and he's lining everybody's pockets. It wasn't obvious to me, but if you're meeting with Gensler and you're meeting with politicians, I don't know how in a million years they didn't know that. It's like, holy cow, how did they not know this? Right. And where's the government? For example, an offshore casino, they can't advertise in the Super Bowl. We can't take money from them. That's all illegal. Why was FTX legal? Why could they advertise? Who's regulating that? That, to me, is where the real big problem is. It's because the guy is spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to grease the right wheels. Would you like to challenge him on any of that? I well, think it's pretty solid statement. No, okay, so there is right and wrong in that response. So factually, FTX is an international operation. They had an FTX U.S. arm that was regulated here in the United States. Uh, I think he's right to raise a red flag. And I think everybody in crypto, in hindsight, said there were obvious red flags, especially the $43 million in spending for the uh, Democratic midterms and then pledging a billion dollars for 2024. People were thinking, why does he want to be the face of crypto in front of lawmakers? Why was that so important to him? And now I'll tell you that off the record, a lot of people have been calling me the last 10 days or so saying, that was obvious to everybody now and that he wanted protection in case something went wrong, in case FTX got in trouble. So interesting. Uh, Susan, you're one of the few people that can break it down and <laughs> thoroughly understand it. Um, I know it's uh, tough. People have to – are, are, yeah, it it's, is. Yeah, because people um, always talk about Ponzi schemes, saying how can you invest and put money in something that's backed by nothing? I think there are use cases for blockchain. It may not be Bitcoin. It may not be Ethereum. But I think peer-to-peer, meaning me to Brian Kilmeade, kind of lending and money transfers, that's something that blockchain can be used for effectively in the future. And that's why I've always recommended to people, passbook savings account. You get 1.4% on your money, and that's where you put it. One point four percent. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, even uh, I was I mean, thinking. 
I was thinking of uh, Warren Buffett because he says at least you get 4 or 5% in index funds on the S&P 500 each year on average. And that's probably safer than buying individual yeah. stocks or definitely crypto. Well, you could take go with me or Warren Buffett. That's the choice. Oh, okay. I'm going to give the me, listeners Buffett. the chance mm, okay, to make their okay. own decision. <laughs> I'm thinking about or Susan that. Lee. Susan, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Stay indoors. one 408 7669 his Cancer joins us at the bottom of the hour. And you next. I want to hear from you. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Got a couple of minutes here, one 408 7669 I see your calls up there. Just got a, a quick message. If you guys are going to be in the South Carolina area, uh, Myrtle Beach, before you golf or, or golf first, take the early tea time, and then visit me at Barnes & Noble because I'll be signing the President Freedom Fighter. Thanks to everybody that came out here in Hollywood. I could not believe the size of the line. We had two separate signings, and it was just great to talk to everyone, and everyone gets a picture. I'm going to be... Yes, uh, thanks to everybody at WRNN, uh, Hot Talk 99.5. I'll be at Barnes & Noble, and you're getting the word out there at the Market Common, and I'll be seeing you there at 3346 Reed Street. Uh, that'll be at 3 o'clock. So that'll be fun. I hope to see everybody out there. And then especially your WOKV area uh, in Jacksonville, uh, 104.5 FM, uh, Tom Bush BMW. It's a great sponsor. So we're able to have an event there. They turned over their showroom for us December 3rd. That is my anniversary. So I will bring Dawn. Uh, that is, the, that is, is, do I have to go out on another date after that? Is, is signing books at a BMW, is that enough for an anniversary, Allison? Uh, her mic's not up, but she says yes. Uh, and then Operation New Uniform Gala. I'm not sure if there's any tickets left. It's at the Sawgrass and Marriott. That'll be great. And then... In St. Louis, Missouri, December 9th, uh, News Talk 97.1. Or making sure that's hospital ha- happening over in St. Louis. Brian Kilmeade Show, coming back with Ennis Cantor when we return. Don't move. show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hakeem has the intelligence, he has the work ethic, um, and he has the empathy to bring people together. You know, we're too divided as a country. We need leaders who can bring people together and get things done. And that's what Hakeem Jeffries represents to me. Um, And I'm really excited uh, if he decides to announce his candidacy. Yes, that's uh, Congressman uh, Congressman Krusha Mor- Moruth over at Illinois talking about Akeem Jeffries. Could he be the uh, the leader of the House, the minority leader, where Kevin McCarthy technically is now? He's about to become speaker, in my view, and just about everybody else's view. So can he do it? Akeem Jeffries, I tell you, look, he's obviously very conversant. He's a great-looking guy, young guy, athletic. But he's a, to me, he's very divisive. I've never seen him say anything to bring anyone together. Maybe you need that in today's speaker, but what that means is we're just going to be in standoff after standoff. 
We'll see. Kevin McCarthy on the younger side, and then not 70. How about that? Not 80. How about that? And then you have Akeem Jeffries in his 40s. So no one's going to stand in his way. Stanley Hoyer made it clear, and Nancy Pelosi says, I'm not going to be a leader. Didn't say she's going to leave. So we'll see. I think the Democrats just don't make room for anybody. Clyburn is 82. The other big news is Ronald McDaniel, as you know, runs the RNC. Lee Zeldin might be next. Listen to him. Cut seven. If a majority of these 168 Republican National Committee delegates uh, want to go in a different direction, uh, well, then that's where we have an important role to play. And I believe that there's an opportunity with the messaging and communications, with fundraising and expenditures, with uh, ensuring that it's organization, it's collaboration. We have to look at election integrity, candidate recruitment, and ensuring that when you're trying to create a movement, energy, enthusiasm, uh, you have to not just say what you're against. Yeah, we're against Joe Biden, we're against the Democratic Party, okay, but what are are we for? We're for, and what we are for is expressing to these Americans that we want to do everything in our power to save America, while these Democrats are doing everything in their power to save themselves. Well, Lee Zeldin did a lot. I mean, he really delivered maybe the House, technically because of so many New York uh, seats that flipped to Republican, even though the governorship did, and he got 47% of the vote in a state that outnumbers Democrats, outnumber Republicans, two or three to one. With me right now, if you're watching on the stream, is Ennis Cantor. Uh, Ennis, we got the big award late last night, the mm-hmm. MVP, Most yeah. Valuable Patriot. Uh, yeah. Great to see you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate that. What is it like for you? Because you used to going to other countries, playing on world, uh, uh, national teams. But you were with last night a bunch of people you probably, you know, they weren't the sports crowd. You yeah. know, they weren't the ESPN crowd. Yep. It was the Fox crowd. About 7,000 people came. And who knows how many people just were just here, couldn't get tickets, but just wanted to walk around. You know, when they got up and started to chant freedom, it hit me so hard, my heart. My heart was just melting. It just showed that how kind they are, how nice they are. And I remember just while I was giving my speech, one of these ladies just screamed and said, we are, not, we, have, we are your family now. I just got so emotional. I really like, couldn't say anything because I was like, oh, my God, this is just something so unique, something so beautiful, something so amazing. So it really touched my heart. Yeah, so Ennis Cantor Freedom, I should say, that you changed your name, you added that mm-hmm. because you really value that. And... And because you did that, you made a stand, and it's cost you basically for now your basketball yeah. career. You're you're with me, and I'm glad, but you're in great shape. Right. You're 30 years old. You should be on the NBA. Still the working NBA out. Roster. You know, I'm still working out. I mean, I mean, I love basketball. You know, my my whole life, I wanted to become an NBA player, which I did. I played 11 years in the league. I'm very thankful for it. But unfortunately, when you talk about some of the problems that were happening in China, just because of NBA in China does billions of dollars of business and stuff, and there are so much endorsement deals, shoe sales, jersey sales, TV deals. They're like, okay, your time is up here. You know, it's goodbye. And that really hurt. Celtics cut you, right? Yeah. They waived they you. They and and you, you could have helped a lot of teams in the playoffs. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, I'm still 30. I can go out there and play, you know. I can start in, with m- many teams out there. Seven foot. Seven foot. Yeah. 255, ready never, to go. Never had, a, never had a serious injury. <laughs> nope, never. I mean, I played 11 years and almost never missed a game. What did your agent say? My agent, this is exactly what he said. I remember the first time, I, it was the first game I talked about the problems were happening in China. He called me and said, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't work for the NBA, I work for you. So if you don't say anything that 
or whatever happened in China, then people are going to forget about this in three, four days. But uh, if you continue to continue to talk about it, you're not going to be able to find a, any job uh, this guy coming up here. And this is exactly what happened. He literally reached out 30 teams, all the coaches, all the GMs, all the presidents. They said not one of them is interested. And did they let you know? Let him know why, or nope. you just they're not going to because that's legal. That, uh, yeah, obviously, that I can go out there and sue them, which I'm probably is going to do it. Yeah, you've talked to lawyers. Yes, I did talk to my lawyers, but I just, you know, this seven eight months has been so busy. I was just going out there and giving speeches and stuff. But like, I think once I'm like uh, now uh, back at home, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to suing them. Wow. And then, of course, I would put everything on hold. Would you play in Israel or somewhere else, uh, or would you play in Italy? Good question. Well, unfortunately, right now, the Turkish Airlines is sponsored in the EuroLeague. So it looks like it's <laughs> going to be very tough. To tell everyone, you're from Turkey, yeah. and basically, mm-hmm. when you spoke out against Erdogan's crackdown, exactly. they cracked down on your family, and yeah. they, they wanted to you to be extradited and jailed. My name is on Interpol list, still, till this day. What list? My Interpol list. Interpol list. So it's like a, a red notice. Were you worried about going to the U.K.? You just came from the U.K. I just came from U.K. Were you yeah. worried? I mean... Oh, because they're uh, not in the EU anymore. I'm an American uh, citizen now. Oh, okay. You know, I had the American passport. It's so... It feels so relaxing. So it feels so amazing to just give them the American passport, and they're like, well, you're good to go. And if you didn't have it, they would... You that would not would have left. Very ugly. Because I remember the Knicks were going to going to <laughs> London, England. actually. Yeah, to yeah, London. I didn't go. And you didn't go. And I said, yep. what's going on here? Exactly. So, no, if I... If, I wasn't, didn't become an American citizen or didn't have an American passport. There was no way, and which I didn't. Uh, you know, since until uh, I become an American citizen, I didn't leave America for six years. So you had you, you told me originally when you came in when you were with the Celtics a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, you said, "Yeah, I can't contact my family." They checked the yeah, text messages. Exactly. Your dad's a doctor. My dad was, was a, a doctor, doctor and scientist, he, and he got fired. He got fired. And my sister went to medical school for six years. She still cannot find a job. My little brother was playing basketball, kicked down in every team, just because of the same last name. So, and your other brother is playing? Uh, other brother plays basketball in Japan. Yeah. In Japan, yeah. okay. So they put my dad in jail for a while just because of I spoke out, uh, spoke out against the problems that happened in China. And you don't want, Turkey. Right, and you don't want responsibility. So if you reach out to your dad and they find the text yeah, message, you just have to call. Bad. That will right. be really bad. So you know. that's a tough way to live. You can only contact your uh, your other one brother. It's been nine years now that I have not seen or communicated with my mom and dad because if I do, then they will be in trouble. Right. And they don't even want to take that chance, you know. But I talk to my brother and always ask him, how's my mom and dad doing? Now, what, do you, what is your sense as you see the things with China and Taiwan heat up and the, our Speaker oh, of the House God. go over there? And the fact is there is a chips deal yeah. out there that's going to have us yeah. divesting our technology from them. We have not removed the tariffs. Mm-hmm. Things between America and China yeah. are really getting bad. They are, yeah. There's got to be pressure on these corporations to pull out manufacturing <laughs> as well as finance. You know, when the, the war started between uh, Russia and Ukraine, I see all these corporations were pulling out of uh, Russia. I was like... If China was invading, uh, uh, you know, Taiwan, I wonder if the, the same corporation, same CEO, same people will pull out of uh, China. Why? Because, I mean, it's much more lucrative to be in China as opposed to Russia. Exactly. I mean, I mean, it just, it just, I, I just have seen the hypocrisy, hypocrisy of the NBA and Wall Street and academias and um, big techs and stuff. It just, it just kills me inside. So, uh, Ennis Cantor, freedom's with us. So. When you're watching the Black Lives Riots and when you're at because they say the inequity of race in America mm-hmm. and when you're seeing the All-Star Game getting pulled out of, mm-hmm. of Atlanta sure. because of Atlanta, yep. uh, because of 
because they don't like the election law, mm-hmm. it goes to another place. Mm-hmm. No one, no one paid the price for that. We're going to take ethical stands. But then you sit there and go, wait a second. You know the Uyghurs are being enslaved. Exactly. They happen to be Muslim too. And there's such a fear in this country of a Muslim hate because of 9/11. Everyone's very vigilant mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. But we've turned our backs on the uh, Muslim Uyghurs, and we're still dealing with an, an increasingly oppressive new uh, president of China. You know, when the players were uh, standing up about what was happening in America, the, from, from the first moment I knew that they're only doing it for their own PR because they know that they're not going to lose any kind of endorsement deals, they're not going to lose any kind of contracts or shoe sales or uh, jersey sales, but they know as soon as they stand up that the, the things are happening in China, they will be cut from the NBA immediately, you know. Uh, but um, when you look at China right now, there are three, four million you know, Muslim ethnic groups uh, called Uyghurs in concentration camps getting tortured and raped every day. So I just couldn't sleep at night while my Muslim brothers and sisters were getting destroyed and killed on the other side of the world. And I just, you know, I was like, this is bigger than basketball. And also, don't they have to give up their religion? They do. They do. Yeah. China pressured them so much. And it just, there's been so much, you know, the reports out there, which is, you know, rape, you know, organ harvesting, and surveillance cameras for sterilization and abortion. Um, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, I would say very unfortunate. So last night, uh, the Patriot Awards took place. The first honoree was, uh, was Annis. And I, we, mm-hmm. I was one of the people that they gave you uh, the award. Here is a, how, here's a portion of his speech. By the way, nothing written down. Just off the top of his head. Cut 28. The last eight, nine months has been very lonely. When you talk about some of the problems that were happening in China, and unfortunately, the organization that I played in, it was a very tough time, so that's what I will say, that's what I will leave, leave with it. But uh, the people that I call my brothers, I'm referring to my teammates, you know, I had hundreds of teammates, I played 11 years in the league, and I told them, this is bigger than basketball, this is bigger than NBA, this is bigger than ourselves. While we are, while we are dribbling a basketball in this country, on the other side of the world, people are losing their lives, losing their homes, and losing their loved ones. Yeah. So we have to stand up for those innocent people. And, and just your, yeah. your, your, fellow, your former teammates and all the teams you've been on, the all-star teams. I'm so disappointed in them. You know, I remember the first time I started to uh, talk about the problems that happened in China. You know, they, they knew what's going on. I even told them, like, listen, just join me. We'll, we, we can create this movement together. They said, listen, we love you. I think what you're doing is so amazing. We support you, but we just cannot do it out loud. I asked them why. They said, well, we have shoe deals, endorsement deals. We want to get another contract. I asked them one simple question. I was like, put yourself in their shoes. If your mother, if your daughter was getting tortured and raped every day, would you still pick money and business over your morals, values, and principles? No answer. But you also did something on your sneakers. I did. <laughs> Talk about that. Well, I... When I was a kid, I remember whenever I watched an NBA game, the first thing I was looking at was the shoes, you know. And then the next day I was waking up, I was like, Dad, please buy those shoes for me. So I wanted to reach out to these artists around the world who've been oppressed by their government and created this, you know, non-slave labor shoes and put all the struggles on the shoes and go out there and play. So because there was no rule against it. During the NBA bubble, all the players were putting on their shoes, Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, I can't breathe and George Floyd and yeah, all that course, stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, there is no rule against it. And now whenever I put free Tibet, free Uyghurs, free Hong Kong, stand with Taiwan, it becomes a problem. I just, and first game I remember was Madison Square Garden. Two gentlemen from the NBA came to me and said, take your shoes off. 
or are you going to get banned? Who, say, who said that? The uh, Knicks? The, no, oh, the, uh, the, the, the Madison people Square Garden who at, Yeah, the people who works at the Celtics. I mean, they're the equipment uh, managers. And I was just shocked. I'm like, what are you talking about? I looked at the rule book. There is no rule against it. They said, well, you've been getting so much uh, you know, attention, pressure from the internationally. It was from China. And in the halftime, in the halftime, all Celtics games are banned in China. I was like, well, that clearly shows my point. Yeah. That clearly shows the censorship and the dictatorship. And that game I played zero minutes, right. which I played every game before that. Somehow they didn't want me to play that game. So you talked to your coach? I did. And he was just telling me about, well, it's this issue, it's that, that issue. But he never, I mean, all the players would came to me and said, listen, man, you keep wearing those shoes, you're not going to play basketball again. So what do you want? I was like, I'm wearing the shoes. So. And, and you had a few different designs, didn't you? One did. free Tibet. Free Tibet, free Hong Kong, stand with Taiwan, free Uyghurs, uh, stop organ harvesting, uh, <laughs> surveillance cameras. So I really wanted to expose the Chinese government for what they're doing wrong, you know, always, because, I mean, it just, it was just, everybody was scared. Everybody talks about all the problems that were happening in the world, but when it comes to one specific topic, China, they're silent. Because it's money. Exactly. Right, and, and exactly. there's, there's no, no hell to pay for putting down America right now. You know, I was very confused before this COVID. All the NBA players, whenever their season was over, before they go to vacation with their family, they were going to China. I was like, why are these people going to China? Why are all my teammates all of a sudden just going to China to do a basketball camp? Yeah. But now I know. They go there. They you know, try to come close with the government, and they want to do some kind of businesses and try to get endorsement deals. I'm like, this is crazy. Right. They don't need to teach Chinese exactly. kids to play basketball. By the way, they're not getting it. I mean, is China exactly. any good? Yeah. I mean, no, Aren't they terrible? They're, they're terrible. Yeah. Then they're they, they want to be great not, in soccer, too. They're, they're terrible in soccer. They're now one. I guess I don't think there's any Chinese player in Ping the league. Pong? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't think so. Japan yeah. did. Japan, Japan put some players Japan in there. Japan does, yes. Do you, were you a good soccer player? I am, actually. I wanted to be a soccer player when I was growing up. And you just kept growing? And I just keep growing. I'm like, you know what? I'm too tall and too slow for this game. Right. So I'm just going <laughs> to I switch to basketball. Center back? Uh, yes, of course. Yeah. No kidding. All right. Uh, and we have a few more minutes with Ennis Cantor Freedom. Uh, he's got a few minutes for us because the NBA does not have him on a roster. And he is the mm-hmm. reigning MVP, most valuable <laughs> patriot. 2022. Don't move. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The last thing I'm going to say, I promise you, that I talk about the problems that were happening in, in Turkey. I, last time I saw my family was nine years ago. Oh. Last, I talk about the problems that were happening in China. I pretty much lost my uh, career. So the one thing that I always do, that I used to uh, pray every night, and say, God, please just let me see, your, let me see my family one more time. Yeah. But now I came here and see you guys, see how warm you guys are treating me. How... So do you hear them when you said, I haven't seen my family in nine years? Do you hear the crowd? I did see that. I mean, that, I've never heard anything like yeah, that, as if I it did. was a one-on-one. I know. You know, not many people know. After the show, I had so many DMs that people were inviting me to Thanksgiving dinner. Last night? Last night. Uh-huh. I had, like, tons of, like, DMs. Hey, you know, come to our house. We are your family. Come to our Thanksgiving dinner. We invite you for Christmas. We love you. We are now, we are now your family. It just shows that how amazing these people are. Right. 
Tell the story when you first came over here. You grew up learning that America was bad uh-huh. and how to burn the flag and how to walk on the flag in Turkey. Oh, it was bad. And then when you come over here, you're in America and you get invited for Thanksgiving. And you're mm-hmm. how old and what did you think? <laughs> so I came here for the first time. I was 17. In an environment that I grew up in, was just obviously it was very tough because it was every day there was a different kind of pro- pro- uh, propaganda telling me to hate America, telling me to hate Christians, hate Jewish people. I came here for the first time, you know, my teammates invited me for the Thanksgiving dinner. I'm like, I don't know if I should go, you know, because the, the last 17 years I grew up just thinking that the American people are like the worst in the world, you know. Um, so and then I was like, you know what, I give a promise to my mom, I'm going to give it a shot. And I, like I said last night, you know, I called one of my Turkish friends. I'm like, hey, I'm going to this address. <laughs> this is the address. I'm going to this, uh, this friend's house. If, I, if you don't hear from me anything for the next two hours, call the cops. <laughs> you know, Did you have like, a good Thanksgiving? It was one of the best. Right. It was, we ate turkey. We ate all this, like, I don't know, different kind of, I don't even know their, like, the names now. It's just so many different <laughs> food. Uh, no, I had an amazing time, man. It was one of the most beautiful. And it was great seeing you over the last two days. Congratulations on your award. Thank you. Thank you so much. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, that was rude, but appropriate. Uh, that is... Uh, Greg Gutfeld, still full-time employee at Fox, number one on late night. But let's be honest, he's not going against Carson. Am I right, uh, Dave Rubin? Um, so we're going to be on uh, Gutfeld. Dave's our guest. Yeah. Uh, unless you storm out, you're, you're our guest. I'm trying to think who else. Oh, yeah, we also have Mayor Francis Suarez. He's calling in. He's not going to come in, right, Elson? Then Dave Rubin's here. Dave, you and I have just been informed. I have a source that says we're both on the panel. We're both on the panel. I mean, Gutfeld has no chance tonight. Right. It could I mean, end like the you even number, need a one, third? number one in late night could all come crashing right. down. Uh, Should we tell Tyrus to sleep in? That's Dave. You do He's it. Just gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've gotten into some fights with Tyrus on this side. I'm, right. I'm done with that. But uh, the fact that I'm wearing this headset right now and my hair is going to be lower it, when we do Gutfeld because there's nothing you can do. Once it's been sprayed and then you put one of these things on. I know. I mean, that is why I wear the uh, the ear clips. But for some reason, <laughs> Allison has just ignored all my requests uh, because I wanted the microphone. I could have had a microphone, an old-fashioned microphone. We'll see. All right. I don't want to start Someone's going to get fired. Let's focus yeah, on positivity. All right. So uh, let's get to the big three. Yeah. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The very, very people who should have been covering and regulating and reining in FTX were instead profiting from the scam. From the news media to the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC commissioner himself. That is Tucker Carlson. FTX crypto might be unfamiliar to you, but scams by the alleged rich, which include the famous, are anything but new. The damage, the fallout, and how much? I hope these fraudsters pay the price this time. Number two. Our investigation is about Joe Biden. And we already have evidence that would point that Joe Biden was involved with Hunter Biden on his deal. So we want the bank records, and uh, that's, our, that's our focus. There you go. James Comer already springing into action with other Republicans. Finally, a spotlight on Biden's business ethics and what it has meant for his policies. We'll discuss it. 
Number one. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. There you go. Nancy Pelosi, leader no more. Pelosi decides life in Washington without the gavel is not worth leading. And she informs her party she's done. So Dave Rubin, with everything that you do as host of the Rubin Report, as a best-selling author, put in perspective this moment in American history. Nancy Pelosi, the woman who broke the glass ceiling. Even if you are a Democrat or Republican, do you think she's been an effective speaker? Well, effective, it depends if you mean effective for the things that I'd like her to be effective for or for the things that she'd like to be effective for. I mean, first off, just quickly on the election itself, you know, it's funny because everyone sort of on our side is like, well, we thought we had this wave coming. What happened? Everyone's kind of licking wounds. But as Tucker pointed out during the Patriot Awards last night, you know, it's actually pretty good what happened. Getting the house back, putting Nancy out to pasture is actually very good. Look, she was effective to some degree. I would say more than anything else, what she'll be remembered for is that she allowed the woke left and and really the radicals to run the party. I don't think Nancy in her heart of hearts. I think she's sort of like Chuck Schumer. Fifteen years ago, she was a moderate uh, Democrat. You know, she wasn't a crazy lefty, but she let them all in. And that was her. It's on her. I mean, she was the head of Congress. She let them all in and she's leaving the Democrat Party in a in a. I would say, far more radical position. That being said, they, stum- they somehow still have some degree of popularity. Well, here's the thing about her. She had a small minority. We don't know what Kevin McCarthy's going to have to give up to get things passed. We're not yep. sure if the Freedom Caucus is going to push him right or if, if there's a, a, left, uh, a moderate wing of the Republican Party that emerges. But I looked at the way she ripped up the State of the Union address. Yeah. You talk about destroying institutions. Can you imagine if McCarthy did that in January? For Biden, I'd be offended. I'd go, what are you doing? Are you kidding? Why would you do that? And then you think the Obamacare. Well, she got it passed. I give you that. They also lost the House. 63 seats. It's never been solvent. It's never lived up to the hype that they claim. Keep your doctor and all these other things. Mm-hmm. It's got to be severely supplemented. And, and the only way they do that is shaming Republicans who are politically oriented into thinking that I got to do it because I can't stop my grandmother from getting medicated exactly. or whatever it has. So having said that, I, and she hasn't brought in anything. What, to me, a great legislature brings people together. Yeah. And wow, she's gotten Republicans involved. You know, they got them apart. I've never seen any of that from her. Yeah, I think that that's just an extension of what the Democrat Party has become. The, the inmates are running the asylum. They don't allow for any dissent in there. And that's why it's so interesting to me what's happening with the Republicans right now, as you just alluded to. There is going to be a more sort of libertarian wing, the Freedom Caucus wing, and then there's going to be a little more of the traditional Republican wing. And then, of course, there's this Trump thing and DeSantis thing. And there's some really interesting fights that are going to happen. And my hope would be that they don't all destroy each other in the name of who's going to take over here. But, um, but the Democrats just kind of waved the white flag. The radicals came in and they said... It's your party now. So I'm going to ask you two things about the leadership. So Kevin McCarthy, is, he's got 188. He's supposed to go over 218. Yep. There's really nobody. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. Look, the guy is a deal maker. Yeah. The one thing about him, the great mind was Ryan, but Ryan was not the deal maker. He was the celebrity. And he should have stated ways and means. He probably would still be in Congress. So having said that, McCarthy deserves it. He gets there. With a five, let's say he's a five-vote cushion. How effective would he be, and what would Dave Rubin's first three things be 
that you work on? I think he's actually going to be pretty effective. I, I like him. I've interviewed him a few times. I think he's a decent guy. And I think what's happening now is the Republicans are realizing, man, the, the Biden thing, even though the elections didn't go exactly the way we wanted, the Biden thing, the, the Democratic cultural uh, dominance, it's starting to crumble. There are more people speaking up. Cancel culture feels like it's not working. So I think there's a real opportunity for Republicans to actually just get a spine, which is something that they're not particularly good at. I think that's what people are worried with him, that they, he's just going to come in and not do much. What would I like them to do first? I mean, the first thing is, how about some some basic stuff on taxes? Just cut taxes for everybody. I mean, like You mean some, put it out there knowing it's going to get stopped in the Senate? It, yes, of course well, it's going to get stopped is, in the Senate. First thing you is make the Trump cuts permanent. So make the Trump cuts permanent and then just put it out there in the Senate and then have the Senate vote on it where you don't have the votes, obviously. But then show the American people, hey, we Republicans, what we would like at this point is just you could have some more money in your pocket. We can't do everything for you. Simple as that. Tax cuts across the board. It won't work, but they'll try it. I think they should also do something on ensuring that uh, lockdowns and mandates and things like that aren't going to happen again. I don't know exactly how that would play out because the governors obviously well, have most well, control so on that. How about saving the military on your point? How about we're about to kick out tens of thousands of military men and women. So far, I did not know. They're out without pay right now. Yeah. So they're out. And the academies, too. They've got to be forced to drop out of the academies. Think yeah. about that. The elite of the elite get the congressional letter, prove themselves, go through the camp. Oh, I don't want to get vaccinated. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with it. I think they're and, doing and they're Are out. they doing something on that now, or they're at least talking about it, right? I think there's— uh, Well, there's not one Democrat that I know of who yeah. thinks it's a bad idea to kick out tens of thousands. I know. It's which is just... crazy. I mean, that's one thing would be a subset of what you're talking about. How do you feel about this announcement yesterday uh, in public about— what essentially they're going to be doing first. Jim Jordan came out and says, we're looking at the FBI and we're looking at the Biden family. Cut 14. When is the FBI going to quit interfering with elections? 2016, they spied on President Trump's campaign. 2018, it was the Mueller investigation. 2020, they suppressed information about the Hunter Biden story. 2022, they raided the president's home 91 days before an election. Maybe it'd be nice if the FBI and the Justice Department just stayed out of it and let we the people decide who we think should represent us, who we think should lead us, that's supposed to be how America works. So this is the focus on the Judiciary Committee, the political nature at the Justice Department, and the linkage now to what was happening with the Hunter Biden story, again, just 15 days before we have a presidential election. So Jim Jordan made it clear, like Jim James Comer, we're going after these investigations. Uh, well, I saw Brett Baer last night. Said, really, is this what the first thing you want to do? What does Dave Rubin say? You know, I actually think it's okay. I get why uh, you might think, no, they should do something a little more tangible, like tax cuts, that sort of thing. But I think people are really feeling like our institutions are rotted from the core and from the inside. And even now we're finding out that the docks at Mar-a-Lago were basically nothing and all of these things. And I think people are just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we can't trust elections, if we feel like the system is completely broken, then what's the point of voting? And I think we have to start getting back to some level of competency. So I actually think it's a, it's a decent enough move to look at some of this. What collusion did we have between the CIA and potentially big tech when it came to the Biden story? Was the administration telling people to take down tweets? I mean, there really is a Pandora's box of stuff here, and I think uncovering some of it would be very good. See, I, I had no problem with it all, but if that's all you do, that might be an right. issue. I well, really if it's no... all you do, then we got a problem. Right, and yeah, if yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. you lead with, but where are your ideas and who's going to be generating those ideas, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. Now, what rate, uh, Dave, do you, what power do you give, uh, if you're Mitch McConnell, how much yeah. effort do you put into Herschel Walker? 
You got to try, right? You got to try, even if it's just optics. I mean, it's not going to look good for Walker. You that, think he's that losing? Was, well, look, without Kemp on the top of the ticket, I just think he's going to lose a certain amount of votes, and the Democrats figure out a way to win these close, delayed elections. They just do. You got to give the devil his due. They always figure out a way to pull it out. So without Kemp giving him a little extra buffer, the way, say, DeSantis helped Rubio here in Florida, you know, Rubio won by a massive landslide. He was going to win, but I think it was a large part because of the the DeSantis wave. I think you gotta go. You have to go all in, right? What, what would your excuse be if you're McConnell? What's your honest excuse? You're I'll not keep my go, money for a rainy day. Uh, yeah, you know, but I, I think people have had it with that, and Trump will wreck him if he doesn't put more in. And Trump should be doing every. Everyone should be in on this, right? See, I, I would think this. I think that Warnock made it clear first day personal. He went right after him. He's yeah. a bad guy. He's in this. He's lying about. It. Okay, you've gone personal. He stayed out of it because he's got such a dicey personal past. Mm-hmm. Let everybody else, super PACs, do it. So for Herschel, I would get his opposition research and roll with it. I would say he's been saying a lot of the same things they did during the general. Change it. Give me, give me another wrinkle. Number two, you got, you got a libertarian with 2%. Yeah. So you need that 2%. That'll be enough. And the other thing is Kemp's get out the vote campaign, the way they targeted, knocked on doors. They said it's fantastic. McConnell, I don't know why, he had to write the check to get it to Herschel. So Herschel's team's got it, and McConnell will run it. So I just think that there are some strategies involved to maybe make the difference. And maybe does Georgia want to, again, be the, give additional power to Democrats? Right. Isn't it interesting that Georgia makes the right decision pretty clearly with Kemp this time, right? I mean, it wasn't that yeah. close. He earned to, it. You know, he, no, he absolutely earned it. But then they can't see the Senate situation clearly. I mean, Warnock is a radical radical leftist i'm sure you've seen some of the videos of him preaching yeah and where Let's he's see. talking about getting rid of whiteness and the worship of whiteness that america has these well, are, these the are evil <laughs> That's why I'm, a, I'm reluctant to criticize <laughs> these are these are bad ideas bad ideas that would be considered racist if it was coming out of anyone on the right and for some reason it's lauded on the left yeah i, w- I want to bring to another exchange that took place with christopher ray about hunter biden with senator ron johnson sadly he will not be chairman Cut 15. Have you read Senator Grassley's and my report uh, on Hunter Biden's corruption uh, issued in September of 2020 and November of 2020? Have you read those reports? I have had a chance to look at it. Do you see any sign of Russian disinformation in those reports? That would be a hard question for me to answer. No, it's very easy. Yeah. It's very easy. What I would say to It's a very easy answer. There is no Russian disinformation. That report is completely clean of any interference of foreign influence, although we have been falsely accused, including by the chairman of this committee, of spreading Russian disinformation. So that's Christopher Wray, again, refusing to answer absolutely anything of substance, especially if it makes a Republican look good or move forward. That's what it's going to be like? I mean, at one point, this guy's got to get fired. And now I can't wait to see those dozen FBI agents, maybe more, that have come up and say the FBI has been poisoned. You know, it's funny. I had uh, Rand Paul on my show a few days ago from D.C., and this, I was asking about this. You know, if you guys had the Senate, so obviously he's a senator, but, or if you were going to get Congress, it's like when you do these hearings and, you, you, okay, what's going on with the laptop? What's going on with the CIA? No one, or what's going on with Fauci? No one gets fired, right? I mean, that's sort of how the swamp works. No one ever pays yeah. the price. That's why I actually think... Going to the earlier clip, I think Jim Jordan's inclination is right. We need some people to pay. The last couple of years have been so dysregulating between COVID, spying Holder on Americans, Holder, all of the stuff with big tech and the laptop. I mean, the thing with Elon owning Twitter now, it's like 
he knows. He knows or will know what actually happened. Do you know him? I don't know him personally. Okay. No. Yeah. I bet you he does expose it. Well, he has to now, right? I mean, the guy's not – he could say a lot of things about him. He's not stupid. He decided <laughs> to get this company knowing that the, the trove of information between whatever the collusion was with the government – I was suspended on Twitter in July of 2021 for right. saying that vaccine mandates were coming and booster shots are not working. 2021. We now know that the government, had, Jen Psaki admitted it, we flag posts for Facebook. That's what she said. So if they're doing it for Facebook, you think they were doing it for Twitter? And then you go to the Hunter Biden laptop story and it's like, why did they kill this story? Why did they make sure that you, Brian, as a journalist, could not send the New York Post link in your private messages. Nor could Kaylee McEnany, the press yeah. secretary. Unbelievable. Last exit question. Donald Trump announces on Tuesday, hoping to clear the field. I don't think he is. Mike Pence made it clear he's not. It uh, looks like he's going to run. And when Mike Pompeo came out and said, I think it's time for new leadership. President already called that disloyal. <laughs> How does this play out in your mind, David? It's well, so I, early, I know. It's so early. I got to tell you, look, I'm, I'm a Floridian and a very happy Floridian. And, you know, after DeSantis won this thing by 20 points, if America could become Florida, I think we'd be in good shape. So if DeSantis decides to run, they have to battle this thing out. Their policies are going to be very similar. And my, my one hope would be, and I've been saying this on my show for probably six months because I felt it, this was coming, mm-hmm. is... Let's not do a mutually assured destruction thing here. Trump can do it if he wants to. If Trump wants to burn down the party and take out DeSantis, like he really could do it. But don't do that. And I would also tell Trump, and and hopefully I can say this to his face, you know, people don't want the destruction of DeSantis. If that, you know what I mean? Like he he is the standard bearer. Maybe Trump thinks it's not his time right now, but he is the next guy. Don't, Don't wound him irreparably and then end up much worse. Dave Rubin, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to getting your podcast and at the Rubin Report to follow Dave wherever he goes. Now let's bang up Gutfeld tonight, huh? Let's do it. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Bill before us will certainly do some good. It will authorize some badly needed funding for better fences and better security along our borders. And that should help stem some of the tide of illegal immigration in this country. That is Senator Barack Obama talking about the need to stop this illegal immigration in our country and building a fence. Can you believe that? Hank, listening to WNIS in Virginia Beach. Hey, Hank. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, there's a lot of things wrong. What's on your mind? One thing is, I, f- I feel that the Democrats are the party of projection. And who's accused the Republicans of things that they're doing? And and it's always that way. I do believe that the Republicans should open up their tent and get ideas. Because if you know one thing, the Democrats they stick together. Republicans they're always at each other's throats. And I just think with this uh, back in the day with, with Harry Reid, do you remember what he did with uh, Mitt Romney? Accused him of not paying his Just taxes. Made it up. Everybody knows made it all up. Mitt Romney doesn't pay taxes. Yeah, uh, we lost him. But I got you gist. I, that was one thing. That, just despicable. Harry Reid said, everyone knows he doesn't pay taxes. What was that based on? Well, they just went and ran with it. People wrote about that story. And then later he said, yeah, I made it up. But it worked, didn't it? He lost. No, I, I think you've got to have a little bit of values and ethics. one 408 7669 Mayor Suarez next, and then you. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 
We're coming to you from Hollywood, Florida. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We just finished this election, okay? People just need to chill out a little bit on some of this stuff. I mean, seriously, we just ran an election. We have this Georgia runoff coming, which is very important for Republicans to win that Georgia runoff. I mean, I know around the country, uh, Florida was kind of the, the biggest bright spot. It was not so bright in many other parts of the country. It was, a, it, was a, it was a substandard performance given the dynamics that are at play. Uh, so that is Governor DeSantis, a couple of days after winning his uh, very impressive election, asking about comments Donald Trump made about him. A few days prior, and he said, we just got to chill out. And then he said, check out the scoreboard when it talked about how well he did. I'm not sure it was necessarily directly appointed to Trump, who declared on Tuesday he's in. I would not be bringing up 2024 if the former president didn't and if the current president hasn't said that he's still thinking about what he's going to do or not. It brings a lot of intrigue to it. You know, they are talking about Mayor Suarez of Miami. Same thing, Francis Suarez. He joins us now. It's good, lucky enough to be able to talk to him this morning on Fox and Friends. Mr. Mayor, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you, as always. Yeah, so, Mayor, first off, I just want your, your comment on some of the questions that are coming about 2024 for your governor. Well, look, I think, you know, 2024 is a long way away. It's two years away. And I think everybody should be focusing on how do we do better than what we did uh, in the midterm, right? Uh, everyone acknowledges that we underperformed uh, in the midterms. In the midterms, I think everyone acknowledges that we overperformed with Hispanics in Florida, specifically in Miami, um, where we saw us reverse a, a six-year trend where we lost Miami-Dade County uh, to the Democrats by 30 points when Hillary ran against, uh, against the former president. And now we won Miami-Dade County by 10 points, and that's because Hispanics completely flipped uh, into the R column. That's a recipe for success for the country if we have the right message, if we have the right messengers, uh, and if we connect with the Hispanic right. community, that's not a monolith. We're not Latinx. You know what I mean? We're not San Antonio tacos, like Joe Biden said. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're individual cultures. We're, we're pro-America. We're pro-law enforcement. Um, we're pro-prosperity. And uh, if we have a good good message and a good track record, we're going to get Hispanics. And that right. could unlock a lot of success for the Republican Party for a long time. The one thing I would say, whether I'm a Democrat or Republican, the one thing that American people are saying, whether it's abortion or whether it's vaccines, whether it's masks or banning schools, American people do not like to be told what to do by their government. Give me the, in- give me the information. I'll do the best I can. Let me just make my own decisions with my own family. We saw that Virginia in education. We saw that with uh, Governor Kemp and Governor DeSantis when he said, well, let you live your life. You make your own decisions and go back to work. Do you agree with that? Totally. And abortion, I mean, people think... want to make their own decisions. They don't want, to, they don't want the government getting involved uh, locally or nationally. Look, we see in, in communist countries and uh, in uh, authoritarian regimes, uh, the biggest issue is the government 
tells you what you can and can't do. The government runs your life, basically. You work for the government as opposed to the government working for you. In this country, government is supposed to be limited. It's supposed to focus on the things that it's competent to do, which are very little, frankly, right? And it's not supposed to take more of your money than what it is. And what we're seeing in high-tax states like New York and California in New York, for example, if you're in the highest tax bracket, you are paying 54 cents out of every dollar you make in taxes. That means you're taking home 46 cents. It's not even a majority of the money that you make, which is crazy. I mean, that is borderline, borderline communism. It's borderline communism. So, you know, we can't take that kind of excess government intervention or government as solver of all problems and extend that into the cultural context because it's going to create the same kind of problems. So, um, Mayor, for you personally, what you've seen in Miami is a lot of people moving in. Do you worry about what happened in Texas and to a degree in certain maybe Florida where people come in from other states because they ruin them and they try to ruin your state, whether they know it or not, by demanding certain things that they left? Like when you hear there's a whole group moving in from San Francisco or Los Angeles or sure. or New York City, do you say to yourself, what do you go? What do you go? To, what are you going to be up to when you get here? Yeah, yeah. Look, that that was a big concern prior to the midterm, and I kept telling people, I said, look, you know, my parents were exiled from their country of birth, which was Cuba, and there's nobody getting in a boat and trying to go back to Cuba, right? Nobody wants to re, uh, reform or reformulate uh, the Cuba model in Miami. And, and, and the same way because of the trauma that we all felt, right? So the same way that you know, uh, Cuban exiles were traumatized by the, their experience, I felt that people that were gonna be coming to Miami from New York, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, would be similarly traumatized and would not want to um, sort of uh, have, try the same failed policies that essentially push them out of mm-hmm. their city of origin. And, and it turned out to be correct. I mean, when you look at our, uh, our registration numbers in Florida, when you look at the performance of voters in Miami-Dade County, um, it's, it's proof positive that the people who came um, were people who believed in our policies, right? right. Uh, and, and it's funny because I remember I was watching, I think, Fox the end of the election, and I think some of the commentators were actually saying that Lee Zeldin could have potentially won in New York had a bunch of New Yorkers, a bunch of Republican New Yorkers not come to Miami uh, and, and, and voted Republican. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's actually kind of funny to see that. But um, it's tragic for New York. But it's, 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 it's interesting for Miami. Um, look, I think, I think our message is simple. Our formula for success is simple. We keep taxes low because we believe that money is better spent in your pockets than in governments. Uh, because of that, when, you know, I lowered taxes to the lowest rate in our history. We've never had a lower tax rate in Miami than we do now. We grew 12%. That's the second most growth ever, right? So when you lower taxes, you grow. People want to invest. People want to come here. Then with the, with the extra uh, uh, resources that we've had from our growth, we invested it in policing and keeping people safe. So when you talk about, you know, the sort of defund police movement across the country, that's ridiculous. You know, uh, being pro-police was never partisan. It was never a partisan issue. And now the Democrats made it partisan. And, you, you know, you see the disastrous consequences of, of no bail, of, you know, of, of not arresting people who uh, are, quote unquote, petty criminals. Uh, you see the impact on industry where, you know, major, uh, uh, you know, major uh, chains don't want to locate in certain cities because they're taking huge losses. 
And then, you know, the third thing we did was we leaned into innovation and creating high, creating high paying jobs. You know, we're number one in the nation in wage growth. Uh, you know, we're number one uh, in tech job growth. Uh, we were named the most important right. city in America. We're number one in foreign direct investment. So, I mean, we're leading the nation uh, in, in all these categories and bringing, you know, a couple of trillion dollars of, of assets under managed companies to Miami just in the last 24 months. So, so what bothers you about the party? We watch Rick Scott and Mitch McConnell. I know you know you're you're head you're, you're head of the mayors, and you can watch this with interest. But you see, Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott were not working together, not financing certain. Uh, Mitch McConnell picking and choosing who he was going to finance and support, and you saw the result. What yeah. is your take on your party right now? I think my take, Brian, is we spend eighty percent of the time arguing about the twenty percent of the things that we don't agree on. Instead of focusing on the things that we do agree on and focusing and being laser focused on our message, right? Um, this message that we've talked about today of limited government, that's a true conservative principle. This, this focus on safety, right? Crime was a huge issue in the midterms. Uh, you know, government getting out of your life. Uh, and then, you know, look, both parties need to focus on creating prosperity, not government prosperity, right? Not prosperity through more government, through more taxes, but prosperity through creating the conditions to allow us to be competitive. The world is is changing so fast, so dramatically. And if you look at, uh, you know, different parts of the world, they're investing in their future. Uh, and we are just completely, you know, sort of incoherent. We don't have a strategy. We don't have a vision. Um, we're floundering around the world. Our hemispheres, our hemispheres in chaos, you know, and, and, and so we're just failing at every level. I, I want to bring another area of expertise is uh, Bitcoin. We know that's how you take your salary. Here's what Tucker sure. Carlson said last night, cut 20. The story of the FTX implosion is bigger even than the global recession it may cause. It is the story of the complete and utter corruption of the people who run our country. The very people who should have been covering and regulating and reining in FTX and its 30-year-old founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, were instead profiting from the scam. Not just a few of them, nearly all of them. From the news media, paid off by Sam Bankman-Fried, to the leadership of the Democratic Party, also paid off by Sam Bankman-Fried, to the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC commissioner himself, Gary Gensler, they all knew that FTX was not a real company and that Sam Bankman-Fried was a fraud. And if they didn't know that, they certainly should have known that because it was very obvious to anyone who bothered to pay attention. So crypto, uh, it seems anyone who is reluctant to do it is now out. Is it hurting everything in crypto? Or do you think FTX is an anomaly? No, I think I think I think Tucker is essentially right. I think uh, the Democrats. This is probably one of their biggest failures. Uh, it probably I don't know how much coverage it'll get or how sexy it will be, but the failure to regulate this industry it falls strictly on their shoulders, right? I mean, the the, the extension of this uh, industry has been predominantly in the last couple of years while they've been in power. Um, you know, they, they've done a couple of SEC actions, but very limited. And the truth is, it's not even about SEC actions. It's about uh, guideposts, right? You know, you're talking about uh, a, a technology that's based on decentralization. And you had, you know, half a dozen um, uh, exchanges, uh, which were large centralized uh, repositories, 
for uh, for these for this digital for these digital assets, and they had absolutely no guide rails, uh, no regulation on what they could do with this, these custodial assets, and uh, it, it, it's a shame because I had been as president of U.S. Conference of Mayors calling for a crypto compact of mayors where we could uh, propose guide rails uh, and guidance to the federal government. And they, they just did nothing. They saw this happening. They sat on their hands. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there as to why. Certainly, you know, the, the founder was a, a large Democratic donor. That, that's, that's all public, right? Yeah. That's, not, that's not something that's uh, debatable. That's all on the public record. But, um, but, I, I, but I think the fact that they, did, that they did nothing, not only, by the way, it wasn't good for the industry that they did nothing because there was never any kind of certainty, which is why a lot of these companies never operated in the U.S. Some of the biggest exchanges don't operate in the U.S. They're, they're in you know, the Bahamas, they're in Hong Kong, they're in Singapore, they're in other parts of the world because they didn't feel like there was a regulatory climate that would allow them to operate legally in the U.S. And frankly, um, that was a, a huge, huge, uh, you know, this is a story that's still yet to be told. Thanks. Last thing, I know Rick Scott and DeSantis do not get along. Uh, both Republicans, they don't make a big deal of it, but it's a fact. Uh, how about how do you get along? I know you've had your differences with the, the current governor. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, I get along very well with Senator Rick Scott. I get along very well with Senator Rubio. Um, I've known him for a long time. I, haven't, I don't have the same personal relationship with the governor that I have uh, with, with those two individuals. Both of them are from the Miami area. Um, you know, the, you know, there's been a lot made of, of some of the, the differences that we had. I actually think there's been more made of it than is probably true, um, as, as is always the case. And, you know, you always have surrogates that are trying to, you know, create conflict, just like it's happening now between him and the former president. You know, obviously there's the, the press loves to harp on on, on conflict. And, and, and it's understandable. It's, it, it, it's what sells. It's what's exciting for people. Um, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, I think he knows uh, we've done we have collaborated on certain things. And I think he knows that if he needs me uh, to collaborate with him on something that's in the benefit of the city and the state, that I'll be there. And, and I think, you know, uh, he knows that, that I, you know, that the reverse is also true. Understood. When are you going to decide if you want to put your hat in the ring? You think Trump did it too early. What about what's sort of the right time if, if Mayor Suarez wants to run for president? You know, I think everybody was waiting to see what the former president would do. I actually think. Um, it's it's good that he did what he did because now the, the sort of the field is starting to be set. Um, you know, I think if he would have waited, he would have kept everybody in limbo. Uh, I think, you know, him getting in will definitely keep certain people out. Um, and I think, you know, uh, 2024 is a long way away. So I think over the next few months, uh, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'll keep talking about why the Miami uh, story is one that I think it's a formula for success for the country right. and seeing, you know, what, what the appetite is for, for someone that's young, energetic, with a track record of success, with a vision for the future uh, and a formula that works. And, and that can, I think, court Hispanics, which we just saw in the midterms, mm-hmm. is essential for the vibrancy of the Republican Party. It's, it's great to court Hispanics and not say I'm going to give it away and open up the border. No, I just want to pave the way for you have opportunity. And from your Amen. perspective is invaluable. I think, yeah, get involved uh, at some level, uh, Mr. Mayor. My big worry is you're going to end up in the business world because politics needs talented, diverse people like you. You know, it's, I'll tell you, I, I tell people all the time that I'm an accident. Uh, if, if it wasn't for my dad who came to this country at 12, uh, who got a full scholarship uh, to high school, presidential scholarship to 
undergraduate, two graduate degrees from an Ivy League school, um, has written nine books. If it wasn't for seeing his story, uh, I don't know that I would have ever done it. I would have been like a lot of my friends who decided to stay in the private sector and just like, leave politics for somebody else. I'm glad I did it because I think it's helped me shape the city that I love and create a tremendous, uh, yeah. you know, what we call the Miami miracle. So it's been fun. Keep keep it going. And the next time Thank I you, see Brian. you face-to-face, it'll be in the, right in Miami on the soccer field with David Beckham and Messi announcing that he is the latest player signed. And you'll just get you me in the middle with that exclusive, Mr. Mayor. Mayor no Suarez, doubt. thanks so much. Uh, have, have, a great, have a great day. And uh, thanks so much for having such a great city. Uh, back from Hollywood, California for the final block of this block in just a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Got a couple of minutes here. I went a little bit long, but I did want to uh, I did want to find out exactly what was going on with the mayor, who's got things really rolling in Miami. I mean, it, within this state that's extremely hot, Miami is, is probably the hottest, and he has a lot to do with that, and he's opened up his eyes to it. I do say we have a few things going on. Uh, aside from that, that I think are, are worth talking about, and that is what's going on at Twitter. They added like 40, 45,000, and that's nothing. Tammy, uh, Tommy Lauren had as over 100,000 uh, new followers on Twitter. Elon Musk is blowing it up, put this out to his, uh, put this out to his workers, said going forward to build a break, uh, breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to extremely to be extremely hardcore. This will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only except, exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade. I love it. Guess what? A lot of these employees are banged together. They've gotten a lawyer, and they're going to sue because they don't want to necessarily have to work hard and need an exceptional performance. Is that not emblematic of exactly what is going on? Uh, in the world today. Hard work is old news. Listen, I hope to see everyone in Myrtle Beach tomorrow at uh, the Barnes & Noble. We all begin at 3 o'clock. Go to BrianKillMe.com and get some tickets. Reserve your space. This way you'll be first in line. That's the President and Freedom Fighter now out on paperback. Don't forget One Nation, 8 o'clock, Saturday night, Fox News Channel. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.